Hey guys, welcome to another episode of YBR Remo Show. Again, we're doing another one remote on Zoom. It's uh, another lonely day, but it doesn't feel too lonely because I've got my man with me today, Derek Williamson of Thrive Mortgage, and we have an exciting guest on today. His name is Kosi Stobbs, otherwise known as the Property Owl. Kosi's got a really unique story, and I think you guys are going to find this one uh, very interesting. He, he comes to us from a, an engineering mindset. He's a business owner, and he's built basically his entire uh wealth from real estate and turn that into uh, owning a business. So I don't know, Derek, what did you think about the talk today, my friend? You know, it was really interesting. He has a, uh, he has a different mindset, I feel, than, than most people would that have grown to the level that he's at. Um, I'm just looking at an article here and, you know, he started when he was 16 with, a, with an idea of owning 10 properties and, and now he's worth over $50 million based on real estate and, and business acquisitions. So just a very, very level-headed guy. Um, and the, the biggest piece that I got out of having a conversation with him is, you know, a lot of people look at somebody like that in that situation and just think, how, how is it possible? But the basis of his business and how he's gotten there is very, very common sense driven, planning, doing the math, uh, you know, setting out certain steps that need to happen and just executing. So um, really smart guy, loved having the conversation and uh, I'm, yeah, looking forward to keeping it going. Yeah, no doubt. So it's been an interesting last few weeks with, with us, just a state of the update on the mortgage world and the mortgage space. It seems like we're seeing changes almost on a daily basis. So this was a nice little reprieve uh, of what's been happening lately, what's going on. So I guess without further ado, uh, we'll introduce the podcast with Kosi Stops. I hope you guys enjoy it. Make sure to like us on Facebook at Thrive Mortgage Co. or Facebook slash Thrive Mortgage Co. Hit us up on Instagram. Let us know you love it. Share it. Give us a five-star review. All this stuff helps, keeps us going. We do this for free in our night times, as you can see, when we might be rather having a beer from our good friends at uh, Farm Brewing. Uh, love those guys. And uh, yeah, pay attention. Enjoy the show. We'll catch you guys after. What's up, guys? You are listening to the YBR Remo Show, where we talk all things Vancouver real estate and mortgages, take boring topics, and make them interesting. Make sure to stay tuned to listen to everything you need to know how to put cash back in your pocket, create wealth in real estate, and simplify the complicated. Kosi Stobbs, thank you so much today for joining us on the YBR Remo Show. It's, uh, it's been a minute since I last had this uh, gentleman on the show, uh, otherwise known as the Property Owl. Uh, Kosi yes. comes to us all the way from, where are you today, Kosi? Today I'm in Surrey. It comes all not the way too from far Surrey, away. <laughs> so not too far <laughs> away. Yeah, right? We're neighbors. Uh, you yeah. know, the reason we asked Kosi to pop on the show today is because, uh, you know, I've been very fortunate and uh, to, to have had the opportunity to connect with him in the past, get to watch him, get to see what he does, listen to a lot of feedback, and really just sharing is his journey uh, after meeting him of starting off investing into real estate when he was in his 20s to where he's at today, uh, fulfilling one of his dreams of turning his assets into running a business. So again, uh, Kosi, a big welcome from uh, myself and uh, my team here. Welcome to the show, my friend. How are you today? You know, I'm doing well. Thank you very much. I'm fantastic. Uh, I, I've always been a happy person. So uh, I'm doing really good, and it's, it's great to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Awesome, my friend. And we have to ask, as we do uh, with everybody during these times, how are you making out during isolation? Is it business as usual, or has anything changed? You know, for me, I've been, um, when I was, I would say about, when I was in university, so like going back 1920, uh, someone told me, you know, Kosi, you do too much stuff. You need to rest. If you don't rest, you're going to burn yourself out. And, and that was about 19, 20 years ago I was told that. And uh, I'm still not listening to that advice. So there is no pause for me. I wake up early. I get to work. And I go to bed late. Um, or I go to bed at a reasonable time. Either way. But it doesn't matter. Like I have always hit that go button. And, and um, I've always been able to fill my day um, doesn't matter what I'm, I can always fill my day regardless of what's going on. So I've always been 
a busy individual. Um, and I've always had my hand in a few different pots, right? So that's always me and that's always going to be happening. Um, uh, with what's happening now, uh, it's, 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 it's not business as usual in, in the sense of there's a lot going on in the world, right? It's, it's, uh, it's a lot of, uh, it's a really uncertain time for, for a lot of businesses. It's an uncertain time for a lot of people. Uh, there's an uncertain time for the market. It's an uncertain time um, that we're in. Um, it's not the first uncertain time that we've been in, but it's the first, uh, you know, major uh, pandemic in 100 years. So it's, it's new territory for all of us. We can't even ask our parents about how they dealt with this, right? It's, uh, we're, we're all trying to figure it out and sort it out as we go. Yeah, no, that's uh, such an interesting point and, and a good way to put it. And I think as a team, um, our, our team in particular has been doing exactly the same as you, Kosi, which is uh, working nonstop, getting up early, acting as if nothing's changed, even though things have, and working through our, our normal schedule and routine. And I think that's one of the most important things that I've noted about people who run a successful business, who run a successful life, is even during times of crisis, they don't change their, their uh, routine. They adapt to the routine uh, and find a new way to operate on that way, same wavelength. So why don't we, uh, I should actually let Derek speak here for a quick second to let people know he's here. So... Derek, how you doing over there, buddy? I'm here. I'm here. I'm good, man. I'm I'm in Langley. I'm not too far away from either of you guys, and uh, I'm actually really excited for this because, Kosi, I didn't know a, a lot about you until a couple of weeks ago when Alex and I were chatting, and and he mentioned that you had such a cool story, and so I've read a few mm -hmm. articles, and uh, I'm really excited to learn more about you know where you came from and where you're at now, and uh, I love that you started working at Burger King where you're 16, and and you had a vision and you made it happen. So yeah, let's dive into it. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it, man. So we got to start where all stories start really quickly to give people a backstory, a little bit of framework. So uh, let's, let's, let's uh, rapid fire through this. Kosi started at Burger King. Um, I love yes. the story. Tell us a little bit about uh, working your way up to getting that first property and what that looked like for you, my friend. Okay. So the very, my very first property, um, the money that I used for that started at, at BK and I was making, so this is going back to the, to the late nineties. Right. So I'm making, um, $4 and 50 cents to start. And then, oh. uh, then I became, so that was minimum wage back then in Alberta. It was lower. I remember it being quite a bit lower than it was in BC because I grew up in Edmonton and then I became a crew trainer. So I got a 25 cent raise. That was pretty cool. Um, but during that time I was able to save $200 a month. Right. And, um, I was going to, uh, went to university and even during university, just working hard. So I paid for my tuition. And then when I graduated, I had uh, $8,000 uh, kind of the year after I graduated, $8,000. I used that CMHC first time home buyers, 5% down. I uh, used that AK bought a place for 135,000 in uh, uh, Delta. It was a real old rundown townhouse and the way that I got it was I um, and it's it's akin to how I do stuff right um, one of the things I've always believed is is only take advice from people who have done shit that you're trying to do um, so I started calling realtors and I every real I called about 30 realtors and I asked one question I said you know I want to own 10, 10 properties by the time I'm 30 can you help me and um, most of them, all of them are willing to help for sure, right? You know, you got a down payment, you want to buy, we can help you, but none of them had the experience. So I just kept calling until I found someone that had experience because I wasn't interested in uh, learning from someone who didn't. So I found a, a lady, her name is Donna Moore, and uh, she had owned uh, more than 10 properties. And I said, absolutely, I can show you how to do that in 10 years, no problem. Um, I followed her with my, uh, my $8,000 and then I... The, literally the very first unit she told showed me, she said, I own uh, units in this complex. I think you should buy in this complex. And I bought it. It was, I just did exactly what she told me to do. That was my level of, of um, scrutiny or knowledge or whatever you want to call it, study that I did into that very first property. I just bought it. And um, it turned out phenomenally. Uh, two years later, it was worth 200 grand, and then I was refinancing and buying more. And that was kind of the start of the journey. Um, was you know I took, you know, saving 200 dollars a month, 
And then in five years, getting that to $8,000. And then two years, that going from $8,000 to $65,000. Obviously, going from that one property and, and having a mindset and an ambition to own 10 properties when you're that young, like, was that derived from somebody? Did you have a mentor? Did you have somebody that you knew that was doing it that made you want to do that? Or where'd you get the idea? You know what? I got the idea. It wasn't from anybody specifically. I've always been like, I bleed entrepreneur blood. And I believe that there's, there's, you have to bleed entrepreneur blood. Your heart has to pump. It's in your DNA. It's your hard wired to be an entrepreneur. You don't just become one. Like, I don't, like, there's a lot of people that go to a lot of great uh, colleges and universities and say, you know, I'm going to get a business degree. I'm going to get a marketing degree and I'm going to, you know, this degree, a project management degree, or that, and uh, third, and they're all good. There's value in a lot of them. They teach you a lot of case studies and you learn a lot of stuff. But I find the people that are actually owning companies, they all have a variety of backgrounds. Some of them went the education route. Uh, I have an engineering degree, nothing to do with, and I have a business minor. Some of them went the, engineer, the, the education route. Some of them did not at all. But the one thing that I find is common about all of them is when they were really young, they all had a, a you know, like either a lemonade stand or something. They were trying to make money. They're trying to make moves, right? They were trying to do stuff. And it's, it's, you're hardwired that way. Um, and when you are hardwired that way, it, it allows you to do the things you need to do to be successful. Um, and what I mean by do the things you need to do to be successful is, is it allows you to have that ability to push and to keep pushing and to have that persistence when you need to have persistence and not, not to not quit and to have a goal and dream and say, okay, you know what? This is my dream. This is what I want to make happen. What do I need to do? Make sure that it happens. And I may not have all the answers right now. And usually you don't, you don't have any of the answers in the beginning, but who I need to get in touch with to figure it out. Yeah. You know? While some people may not be uh, hardwired from birth, I believe they can quote unquote rewire themselves to some degree. And, I imagine you would agree with that to, to some degree in knowing that you're trying to create a platform right now to help educate people. We'll talk on a little bit more on that platform later on during the episode here, but do you believe that uh, someone who may, may not have started that business, do you think that there's an opportunity for them to learn how to create a quote unquote side hustle? A, that's a really common thing that we hear about these days with you know the Gary V generation, that sort of thing. A side hustle is easy to do. And it's easy to start. It's harder to stick with. Um, And it's different things for different people, right? So like when I look at what I was trying to accomplish, the average person is not trying to do anything near to what what I'm trying to do. I would say even the top 1% is not trying to do what I'm trying to do. Right? I'm part of that 1% of the 1%, right? Like my goal now is, you know, fuck 10 properties. I want to make a billion dollars. So that's how my mindset is wired is like, how do you become a billionaire? And what things do I need to be put in place to, to reach that level, right? So um, that's where a lot of the, like, where you, it's got to be, that's in you, right? Now, everybody's goals are different. Now, if your goal is to own, you know, a rental property or two or three or four or five, I know that sounds like big numbers, but to, to do that, the steps that you need to take to do that are, are clear steps. And it's not, it's not, that's not unattainable. That is, you know, you, you budget yourself, you save, you buy, and then you let that grow over time. As it grows over time, you buy another one, right? Those are kind of clear, succinct steps that you can take to. If you're trying to go from that, like, level to another level, that's where it's like, there's a, it takes a different type of mindset, right? Where you start to do, um, you know, like, you know, we've got over 100 employees now. Um, not everybody's wired to take on that type of responsibility, but if your goal is just to own a, you know, some rental property, that's, that's the asset class I find that is, um, of all the different areas I'm in, that's the asset class that I find that it's the most, it's, I'm going to say it's the most forgiving in ways, but you also have to be really careful, but it is the most forgiving. Awesome. So on that note, I mean, let's, let's just take it back for a quick sec. I think there's a few points that we need to bring up here. You mentioned uh, in buying your first property there at, I, I think the, the comments that we had are 22 years old. Um, and then you mentioned you doubled it, doubled it, doubled it, refinanced it. So I guess two questions on that point really quickly, just so the listeners can understand this is 
again, why real estate at that time? Like what got you interested? Sounds like you just jumped in head first. And then second of all, what like where did you learn about the concept of quote unquote flipping it and and just to explain what to someone else what that means it's essentially reselling that product now i think you said refinance not flipping but maybe just define specifically what that looked like for your situation just a quick uh, high level review yeah yeah so just talking to refinancing so um so that's when i'm when i'm going from like a few to more the primary that i used in the beginning was uh, a refinance strategy before i started and then i started partnering with people to buy real estate so those are kind of the two steps right so refinance can take you to a level of properties and then and then and then partnering people to buy real estate can, can help you grow quicker um, so on the on the refinance portion of it is um so my parents they they bought a home uh, shortly after they came to Canada, they bought a property. And then when we moved from that property, uh, they upgraded, you know, got up in value, they upgraded, they bought a slightly larger property, and then they upgraded and bought their, their kind of dream property. And and that's the one they owned. And, and the first property they bought, I think they paid like $60,000 for, $50,000, $60,000 for the last property they owned. They owned it outright and they owned, and it, and it was about half half a million dollars, right? Um, they did what I would say that a traditional um, person does, and it, it makes sense. Now, just taking my parents as an example, if they had changed their strategy, and I always say, if you tell me your strategy, I can tell you what your net worth will be within plus or minus 10%. I can get pretty close. If you tell me your strategy and how long you're going to do it for, I can get pretty damn close in terms of what you're what you're worth. Now, for my parents' case, they did one, two moves, right? If instead of selling that first property, they had kept it and selling that second and refinanced it instead, so that property's gone up in value, and if they pulled $50,000 out, use that $50,000 that they refinanced, got a, uh, or a line of credit, pulled equity out of it, access that equity, and then use that to buy a second property, and then access that equity and use that to buy the third property at retirement age. So now they're like, they've gone on, they've owned that property for 25 years retirement age. That first property is now being rented. The second property is now being rented. Instead of having a half a million dollars worth of assets, they would have had a million dollars worth of assets. And the million would have been that first property they owned. It's gone up in value over, you know, 15 years. The second property they've owned, they've, it's gone up in value over 10 years. So it's not just one property growing it's when they refinance the per first one now they've got two growing at five percent when we price second now they've got three growing at five percent so you end up getting um more exponential growth with your rate of return so um that's that's what i was doing in terms of refinancing properties was i was like okay as it went up to a certain amount i'd, I'd access the equity pull it out and then buy more so with your existing portfolio, you've obviously been at, the, at this for quite some time. Um, have you found yourself selling many of the properties that you've acquired or are you trying to hang on to every single property if you can? My general plan is not to sell generally. Um, the only time that I sell is if I have a partner that really wants to sell. Right. But um, if I don't have a partner on the property, my general rule is not to sell. Um, that's not my intention. So when I buy a property, my intention is to own it for you know, 20, 30, 40 years. Um, and, and when you go in with that mindset, because if I, if I own it for that 30 year period, like I, say properties in, in the lower mainland are worth 800 grand today. Right. Um, let's say conservatively every 10 years or so it doubles so 800 grand today 1.6 in 10 years and i even say doubles like and then say in in 30 years from now it'll be worth two million bucks right 800 grand today two million dollars in 30 years right so that's a long time um i'd rather uh do that um and rather and, and re finance other properties and get more rather than sell. So if I know that I'm going to own something over a 30 year period, 
I'm going into it knowing there's going to be downturns. That's in my head. Over 30 years, I'm anticipating at least every 10 years, typically there's a, there's a market. It's the issue that happens with the market. So if I'm old for 30, 40 years, like I'm 40 now, I want to live to 80. So if I've got another 40 years to go, that means I'm going to go through four or five downturns, maybe more, maybe less, who knows. And so my strategy for purchasing and how I manage it has to be so that I can handle downturns. And same goes for my business. You have to build a strategy so that you can manage downturns. So you have to anticipate downturns because downturns happen. And if you don't anticipate downturns, in my opinion, you're pay, playing Russian roulette. You've got a gun with, with four holes and one bullet, and you're doing this, and you're going like this, you're doing this, and you're going like this, you're doing this, you're going like this. One time, you're going to get shot, right? You have to anticipate downturns, and downturns are part of the process, and then it's just a matter of how you manage that. i give you a couple quick ideas on how you manage downturns. Um, and the, the biggest one that I have, the biggest thing is is cash and I, I know it sounds weird because i refinance a lot but i also keep a lot of in cash right so every property that i own i keep an amount of cash associated with that property and that number of the amount of cash that i keep per property is based on um anticipating downturns it's anticipating issues that money is for issues do you have a so, do you have a calculation that you utilize for uh, what you uh what you hold in cash per property Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's usually around six months operating expenses, right? And um, and then it depends. And then it, but it, it generally depends because some areas it also depends on what the vacancy rate of the area of the area or the neighborhood is. I'll keep more in for vacancy. So I do like a little bit of like a. I like that you said that it's real estate's a, a business, right? Because if you're an individual. Um, you manage your life. You say, okay, if I'm going to be okay for the long term and I'm anticipating downturns, I need to have a certain amount of money. They tell you all the time, you need to have, you know, six months, a year's worth of, of expenses saved up and have access to it. Um, if you're a business and your business that runs well, you are doing the same activity. You're saying, okay, if something happens, I need to have a certain amount of cash laid across. And I'm a student of Warren Buffett, right? So I guarantee you, Warren Buffett is not concerned about this downturn like it's uh it's uh something that needs to be dealt but he's not concerned to the point that he feels like his business are going to run out of issue why because he's he's holding cash he actually has most amount of cash in hand as he's ever had um is in investing careers right now why because he anticipates downturns he knows that they're coming right not when but it's an inevitable so part of being a good real estate investor is number one buying properties that pay for themselves it's a business so you can't be like every month having to put money into your business your business you'd be taking money out of your business every month not putting it in and then two you have to say okay if i'm going to own a property for a long period of time have i looked at real estate appreciates but the components within it depreciate so if i looked at the components and make sure that all the components are okay do i do i have enough money for uh you know, to replace the furnace? Do I have enough money to place a hot water tank? Do I have enough money to place a roof over time? Right. And then, and then, and then on top of that, it's like, okay, if I have unexpected expenditures, do I have enough cash in reserve to deal with those unexpected expenditures? If you do those two things, those three things, um, and then and also do a stress test, you know, like if people are concerned about interest rates, I'm like, if you're concerned about interest rates, run the math, run what it looks like at 5% higher. And then at 5% higher, do you have enough in contingency to manage a 5% increase, right? Whatever your concern is, quantify it, and then make sure you're going in there, eyes wide open, and then you've taken care of those risks. Because those things happen, right? You can look historically, those things happen. This is not the first time. Like real estate's been around for a thousand years, right? So uh, we, we, we do the things that we need to do to make sure that we are uh, taking a defensive strategy as we go forward. So although the things that I do on the surface seem, um, seem to some people, they'd be really uncomfortable about it. And they'd be like, wow, that's really risky. He's buying a lot of properties. He's doing it. But I'm more comfortable with 
what I do and the way that I do it than I am with the majority of the population as a whole. Like I, I'm uncomfortable with how people operate in general. It's like, you know, really you're gonna you're not gonna have any money, like substantial set aside. Hmm, interesting. Right? What happens if a tenant doesn't pay? It happens, right? What happens if you have uh, extreme high vacancy rate for a year for uh, for some reason? There's some things you can do to mitigate it, but what happens? You gotta you gotta ask ask be able to answer those questions. So yeah, you know, it's it's funny you said that because like the whole time you've been talking, everything you're saying is just so common sense driven. Like it all, it just has a very common base. Like you said, um, a lot of people will look at your situation or anybody that's even considering buying their first investment property, they see risk and they think that it's unachievable, right? But if you're taking the proper steps, just like you just said, and it's very, very common sense driven and making sure you have a contingency and making sure you plan for a worst case scenario, making sure you plan for a 5% rate increase, right? If you ticked all those boxes, it would give most people comfort uh, in making that investment and making that first move, right? Mm-hmm. I'll give you a really good example, right? And this is like just factual. Let's say you have eighty thousand dollars you're looking to invest in real estate, but you're super nervous about all those things, and you say, "Okay, I say run the numbers first, and and then say and then and then quadruple those numbers." So say you run the numbers, you say you need five thousand dollars in contingency, make it twenty, right? And then instead of putting eighty thousand down, put sixty thousand down, buy something smaller, and put twenty thousand dollars in contingency, and make yourself feel better. You put 20 grand in the bank that's only for that property, doesn't get touched or anything else, and then $60,000. Your rates of return will be lower, but your sleep at night will be, you'll sleep like a baby, right? Yeah. You go this, just like that. You sleep so nice. <laughs> right? You sleep so nice. <laughs> so let's, so, so that's good advice. And I think like it's important timing right now with what's going on in the world. You know, um, a lot of our clients who own multiple properties are giving us a call and they're reaching out and they're listening to our, our live broadcast and, and the questions that keep coming in. It's, hey, I'm a, I'm a landlord. My tenant says they're not going to pay the rent. What do I do right now? What do I do right now? And, you know, while it's not for us to advise necessarily on what everyone can do in that circumstance, what is important is that they prepare for the situation and where are they at, which is, um, Again, it's something that we also explained to every, everyone. It's, it's a staying power fund. It's the money that you set aside in the contingency of. So I'm glad you're bringing that up. But let's, let's keep pushing forward here. And I'm going to, uh, just because I want to make sure to have enough time to, to really let people know. But uh, a couple quick questions here for you. So you can rapid fire them or you can uh, give us your feedback on them. First and foremost, what is the most yeah. common type of property that you invest in right yeah. now? Is it a short-term rental or a long-term rental? Long-term rental. Yeah. Do you have the a most preference for me is long term the- rental? Oh. And there's no, yeah, not yet. There's no like, I, I don't think one's better than the other, but that's the most common for me. Do you have a preference in a geographical area? Do you primarily focus on, uh, uh, sorry, key city cores? Do you look for uh, upcoming towns? Are you invested across Canada? Where is most of your portfolio currently? Mm hmm. So uh, mostly key cities, um, and I like cities. When I like cities better, I have higher. But I'm all, I don't, uh, and I'm more into commercial right now than residential. I've just at this stage, it just makes a lot more sense for me. So I'm buying more commercial properties than residential. But um, I like I like cities um, uh, primarily because <clears throat> they have an inherent um diversity to them um that that tends to happen when you cert- read a certain mass of people there you tend to get a certain amount of uh natural uh diversity um and then uh, just and then things that aren't tied to a single industry like any city that's tied to a single industry for me is too high risk so i i tend to stay away from that um as much as possible um awesome but no, that's, uh, having that's... said that, uh, every so often I dabble. Okay. Okay. So he's a little wild card every now and then. Um, okay. Let's, uh, yeah, so that's right? good. That's good information. I like that. I like that. Uh, diversification commercial uh, is something that uh, we do talk about from time to time, but uh, we don't generally see people buying commercial for their first investment property. Um, mm-hmm. Moving forward in your, in your career, where you're at today, I don't think we've even talked about this too much yet. So where you're at today, uh, you, you bought a business in 2019 or 2018? 
2019. Yeah. 2019. Um, and the way that you were able to purchase this business, which I'll let you speak on in just a, a minute here, was by leveraging your existing assets. Do you think you would have been able to purchase this business without investing into real estate and having those assets uh, under management yourself? I, I would not. Absolutely. I, I would not, could not. Uh, it's not even a question. Uh, the banks are looking for a certain level of a net worth for what you're buying. Now you got to remember the business that I was, the business I was purchasing, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's, you know, 90 employees, like it's, it's larger um, in terms of what it does and, and, and incomes and the, the, the amount of capital required to purchase it. So uh, the, the bank's looking for the individual to, uh, they're looking for some security in the person that that's borrowing security or history. Right. And, and, and it was my, the real estate assets that I had that I was able to use to be able to, um, now the primary focus is the business when they're loaning on a business, the primary focus is the business, but then you also need the capital assets either, uh, as, as, as part of that security portion. And then also, again, like you can, um, pull capital out of some of the properties to uh to support the purchase as well so <clears throat> so just to be clear on that goal was sorry go ahead yeah nope yeah go for it i was just gonna say just to be clear on that with you know utilizing real estate towards the purchase of the business obviously it sounds like you potentially refinance some of them to access equity to, to assist with the purchase. Um, but did the, the institution that helped you buy the business, did they actually take collateral security over any of your properties? Like, do they hold a mortgage charge on the properties? Yeah. So they also hold security, right? So you're also, yeah, they'll also hold security over assets. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I figured. So, yeah. It's 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 kind of interesting. The reason that we wanted to bring that up isn't to focus a ton on the uh, the business venture. We can do that at a later time, but to focus primarily on what the yeah. investment in real estate just in general has allowed you to do. So, just kind of doing a quick little uh, backstory here. You went to school, uh, self. You put yourself through school to, to get into engineering. Uh, had a career in, as far as I understand, engineering and management. Uh, 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 your property portfolio became a passion, which turned into almost a, a second career in a sense, uh, investing in real estate obsessively, uh, learning how to create your, your wealth while continuing to work on the side, which is quite interesting because we see a lot of people who say, uh, who, who, I shouldn't say a lot of people, but we see some people who, who get into real estate investing and that is their sole obsession, their focus. Their, we just had a, best, a guest on last week and he turned that into his career and his baby and that was his one thing. Whereas you, you continued to pursue what the venture of real estate would allow you to go into. So why did you keep that career in engineering uh, going when you were starting to have success in the real estate side? Was it a passion thing? Was it just because you could? Mm -hmm. where, where was your head at there? Uh, so it's two parts. There's one, um, I learned a lot while working in engineering in terms of how businesses ran. So I worked for a gentleman who, he, he's one of the, he was one of the best salespeople I've ever met. And he built that company up from the ground and he built it to a 400 person engineering firm and it was phenomenal to be able to work beside him so i i when i was working with him um i he hired me on i very quickly became a project manager and i very quickly after that became the manager of projects so basically in charge of project management group and working with him just because i had a really good understanding for business i always have because i studied businesses a lot um so i was like one of the top five management I was in one of the top five management positions in the company of a company of 400 people. Uh, and I was the youngest manager. Um, and that experience in terms of how businesses run was really helpful for me. So part of it was education and, and it was more so than the, the money I was making at the time, but the education, the other part was, is, and, and you guys can attest to this is if I've got a career and I've got a, you know, a T4 for five years and it's consistent and growing, it's easier to get financing for real estate as you're trying to acquire additional properties, the financing piece becomes easier if you've got, you know, consistent, you know, uh, solid income coming in. So I was able to refinance and buy those properties. And then, then there becomes a point where 
and it's it's not really it's not right away but it comes a point where it becomes where you're able to step away and i think that some people make the mistake that are real estate investors that do it off of like cash flow properties some of them make the mistake i won't say of leaving wanting to leave too soon but not understanding that there's not as much cash flow as they believe there is um in the property and and what i mean by that is like sure okay you have a tenant that pays you rent one month is and and you pay for your mortgage and your condo fees and all that other good stuff and say you've got like 400 bucks at the end of the month um maybe that 400 dollars can be spent but maybe not right like you go around doing that and doing that consistently and spending it all and then um at the end of the say two years in all you've got capital that you know every 10 to 15 years you got to replace a roof you know do you have enough money set aside for that so like all these components you got to take money out for so i find that i love cash flowing real estate for a tool to build equity but i found that for the same amount of money invested if i invested in other vehicles the the cash in my pocket component of that is a lot higher so i i believe if you combine the two you can get exponential growth right i believe that if you combine an operating business with and then take the operating income from the operating business to acquire additional real estate you start to get and then and then the real estate's going and refinancing that real estate you start to get exponential growth the numbers work well and like i've always been um very numbers driven you can kind of tell just the way i talk right i've always been very numbers to i calculate things and i'm like okay even at conservative growth rates if you do this and this together this is what the number should look like that's very interesting and it and it's true uh it it's a good point um you know derek and i often talk to our clients about the 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 ease of access and, and capital in a in a primary property and a primary investment and 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 or a rental property in residential real estate and how it's it's often considered and, and i would consider it to be the, some of the cheapest money you'll ever get and ever mm-hmm. acquire and how you can leverage that and i think that's overwhelming for a lot of people and i think a lot of these conversations might be bigger than than a lot of people can dream but it's, it just shows a lot about what having that goal and that dream can can help you produce so so a question i'd have for you just knowing let's let's assume we have someone listening to this who's who's uh, whether they're in real estate or interested in real estate, maybe they own one property and they're just asking themselves, Oh man, this is, this is a lot. Holy cow. This is exciting. But what's, what's my next step? Should I, should I invest in the next property? What is, uh, there's often like, how should I put this? Um, something that's stopping people mm-hmm. to do that. They're scared of something. They're afraid of something. What would you tell someone in that position? That's kind of like, okay, I got my primary, I'm rearing up to go, but I just haven't pushed that trigger. Is there something or a word of advice that you give those people to kind of make that, that leap into buying their first investment? You know, have a conversation with someone who's been there. You have conversations with, with people that are doing it. Um, and, and you have conversations with people that are working with guys like yourself and your broker and, 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 a, and a realtor who owns investment properties and has been through downturns. You want to be someone who's been through a couple downturns, right? So someone who's been in the game for at least 15 years. Like it's easy to get hot for a year in this game. It's easy to make yourself look like you're smart, right? Like if you buy a property in the right time in, in the market and, and it's, you did it wrong, you did it wrong, but you, you, the time was right and it takes off and you, you get it like overconfident. It can be, it can be. So how, what is it the right way to do it? The right way to do it is, um, making sure that you're buying the right cash flowing properties that you're not putting yourself in, 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 exp, in, a, in an exposure position and that you're taking into account the risks associated with it and the potential that could happen. Um, now if you're asking me when the right time to buy is, um, I've bought in upcycles, I bought in flat markets and I buy in down markets. I buy in all three. And I think you just need a different strategy for each, um, but you can buy in all three. So being in the, the state of the market that we're in right now, um, obviously nobody holds the crystal ball, but I'm sure there will be downturn just given what's happening. Um, mm-hmm. what, 
what are you factoring in to your current business? What is your strategy going into, I mean, the unknown in a sense and, and what type of advice would you give somebody else that's either in the market or looking to get in given where we're at right now? Mm -hmm. So from a business, from a business perspective, so if we talk to the business side of it, yeah. like, like operating business, operating businesses right now, um, they need to focus on, on their, 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 their business and making sure that the business can be sustainable and not last over time. And hopefully they've done the same thing in terms of setting aside capital. Uh, they gotta, they've, they've got to do what they can and then, and then work with their, their vendors and their customers and the, and the employees. Right. I think the time we're in right now, it's not a fun time to be in as a, as a business owner. Um, it's not a fun time to be in as a landlord. Uh, it's just, it's just not a fun time to be in. Um, as a tenant, even it's not a fun time to be in. It's not a fun time to be in as an employee. It's not fun for anybody. So let's just acknowledge that it's not fun and uh, have open and honest communication back and forth. I think if you, if you didn't do those things where you're saving a lot of, putting a lot of capital aside to, to, to kind of manage through inevitable downturns, it's having a lot of open and honest conversations. And, and for some people, it's not going to go well. And um, I think as an investor, so if looking at it from an investor as a, a real estate investor, um, as a real estate investor, I last downturn is when I got most aggressive. Um, and uh, so I find that if I was to, let's say I look at a hundred properties, right? When the market's really hot of the hundred, I might find one or two that'll work because you never want to get into a bidding war because that pushes prices up for me. So I had to, it's a lot harder to come by properties where you can get it, where the, you can get it at a good deal. It becomes very challenging. So you, you might get one out of a hundred that, that to, in my mind work. Like a lot of people buy the 99, but I won't, I'm pretty selective in how I purchase. So that's kind of when the market's booming. When the market's flat, like let's say it goes from one to 10, it swings because you know, it's, it's, you've got a lot more room to negotiate and to, to get the right properties where the cash flows make sense and the, what you can get for rent makes sense. And in a, in a down market, in a down market, you can, you can get a lot more aggressive um, with price and you get a lot more aggressive with terms. Um, I think those are, and, those are and you can find points. more, you can find more, more available, uh, because there are people, if you're looking to buy, there are people that have no choice but to sell. And a lot of people, and it's not like you're, you're taking advantage of people. Like a lot of people have bought properties and they've owned them for 20 years. They, they, they made a ton of money. Right. And, um, they're, you're in a position where you can really negotiate and, and factor things in and you can, you can beat the market in terms of the discount you're going to get. Yeah. And uh, you just need to, and, and you can put out 10 offers and, and it might piss a few realtors off because they don't like doing it, but you can put out 10 offers and fuck, five of them might not get accepted. Ten, yeah. One does that works for you. And then just go. So your opportunities when nobody else is buying is a lot better. Now, when I, when I purchase, I'm looking at 40 years out, 30 years out. So I'm not necessarily as interested in the bottom. I'm just interested in making sure the numbers work for the deal that I'm buying. If that that's, makes sense. Primarily. And then I'm point. interested so in I making sure I get the deal. In, in evaluating most investments, I think that's, that's a good point. In, evaluate the investment based on what it is today. Uh, obviously have some projections, understand the downside, but have a focus on what the upside is in the long term. And that's a conversation that we try to bring up on a regular basis with every client that we're talking about who's looking into invest in real estate is that we're not looking at one year from now. We're not looking at two years from now. We're looking at multiple years ahead. Where does that property look? Heck, in the situation of most of our clients, uh, we're hoping they hang on to their property for as long as they possibly can. And that's where we understand mm -hmm. that most of the real wealth is found. Not, again, yeah. like you mentioned, just getting hot and flipping a property. So uh, while we wrap, wrap things up right here, man, we are going to have more questions. Don't you worry. We're going we're gonna to come back. I, I'm sure people are going to ask a lot mm -hmm. of you right now. Um, 
let's talk a little bit about uh, what we're at right now. So just, again, we'll try and uh, do some quick answers and questions here. So where we're at today, yeah. we've obviously got the uh, lockdown going on. We're in the middle of the uh, coronavirus pandemic uh, in Canada. And uh, there are people that are, you know, still nervous to get out there shopping. There's people that are out there nervous to get their selling. Uh, I want you to look into your crystal ball and I don't need you to predict the future per se, but maybe just mm-hmm. tell us, uh, a, sh- maybe answer these questions might be better. Should someone be out there considering, uh, re- you know, purchasing an investment, uh, today or in the near future, is that a good idea or should they wait until the market goes down? That's my first question. So the, my, my, I have to, I have to, I can't give a quick answer to that. I have to give a long answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I come down to, I, I have what I call my money triangle. And I, I, we talked about this off here. So my money triangle is your foundation. Your foundation of your money triangle is, is, is like making sure you have a budget, making sure you plan of how to accomplish that. Making sure you've got the right level of more. Right. So we make, so you got a plan, you've got a budget, you've got a budget for yourself. You're working within your means and you're Cause if you, if you're not doing that, if you buy property now, you will go bankrupt. Right. So you got to make sure you've got your, your finances in order and you've got a plan for what you want to do and what you're trying to achieve with buying that property. Right? So you buy it to flip it. What are you trying to do? Once you have that plan in place, you got to make sure that you've got uh, the, the second level is, is, is what you're doing to make money. And that you've got, you're generating income and income coming in. That can be a job, maybe it's out of your business and all those things. If those two set, you got your budget nailed and you got consistent, predictable income coming in that you're comfortable with, then yes, boom, then you should be investing. And you should, at that stage, that's when you can start to invest. Um, And then, but the way that you're going to do it in a down market, the way that I've done it in a down market is I put a higher percentage down. um, in on a higher percentage down in reserve um, because you can, and it, for everybody, it's going to be different, right? But let's say instead of six months of operating expenses, you put down two years of operating expenses, right? So basically you're saying, even if you don't get a tenant for two years, you're going to be okay. That's how much cash you're going to put down. And then on top of that, you're going to, you're going to, find a property that's such a sweet deal that it's your numbers are going to look really good. And then, then you're just going to make the move. And, and then, um, then if the market goes down a little bit, who cares? Right. Um, as long as you're a long-term investor, like I'm a long-term investor. So that's how I think about things. Like and the reason why I'm a long-term investor is if you look at the chart, if you look at Warren Buffett's net worth income chart, it, it, it like, it goes like, it, it goes like this, like it takes off, like the coronavirus takes off. Right. And the reason why and it's a similar strategy, if you think about it, right? Like more people get it and then it, trans, then it starts to go quicker because more people have it and it compounds each other. That's how compound interest works, right? More people get it. Then more people get it. That's how compound interest works. So if you're buying now, you know, whether it's worth, whether you buy for 800,000 or 600,000 is sort of irrelevant as you take that number out into the future 30 years, you start to refinance. So what's more relevant is that you, you're acquiring really good properties at work. Uh, and then, and then that's when it comes to uh, that plan, that's the biggest piece. If you have the right plan and you're with fitting, fitting within that plan um, over the long term, it's very hard to not be successful. You have to go out of your way to not be successful, successful. So if I hear that correctly, just in very short to recap, there's really never a wrong time to buy an investment property or a property as a whole, as long as you have a long-term plan and you've done your due diligence and you've set it up properly, right? You've built your base. That, that's exactly what I'm saying. There, there is, um, now, sometimes there's a bad city to buy in. Right. And, and a bad city to buy in, when I talked to that diversity thing earlier, so I don't want to say like there's never a bad time. Sometimes there's bad cities to buy in. There's bad cities. So if you're buying in a city, say you're buying for 20 years, right? And, and then you buy in a city that's um, in a sect that's a single sector and it's declining, like, you know, say back in 04 or 05, you're, yeah. buying into, you're buying in Detroit when everything's leaving Detroit. Well, you can own that for 15 years and it can be la- worth less than 15 years than it's worth today, yeah. right? So as long as you're not buying in shitty cities, then um, yes, there, there isn't the wrong time to buy. But if you're buying a, shitty, a city that there's more, 
way more people leaving than going to it over the long period of time, then you've yeah. got a problem. No shitty Don't cities. The shitty cities. There we like go. It. There we yeah. go. A <laughs> tagline of the day. <laughs> All right. So Kosi, as we wrap her up, my man, uh, tell us a little bit uh, really quickly, uh, plug it out there. Where can people find you first and foremost? You know what the best place to find me is on Instagram. Like it's uh, my tags, the property owl. I actually love Instagram as a platform. It's my favorite platform to be on. I spend a lot of time on there. Or I don't do. spend a lot of time. I post a lot. I post a lot there, right? I love I the little it. caricatures. Right? I got a little <laughs> cartoon. So there's like a little posty cartoon. Yeah. And then and now I'm starting to post more videos. So I do more like, I'll do more video posts of just explaining different concepts. But I just, I like it there because I find it very, um, very real it's the only real platform where people are where you can really engage with someone your audience over a, over a period of months and they can get to see the different things you can do and you can educate them in different ways and you get immediate feedback in terms of the, what you're posting and if they like it and they're willing to share it with other people and they don't like it they'll tell you and what they don't like about it you get you get really honest feedback right so i can i can for example i'll do this podcast with you and you guys will be very polite about it and, and I can post on my Instagram and they'll say something like, Kosi, you sounded really weird. What your voice is weird. You're like, you know, you get like that media feedback and like, okay, I've got to fix this. and I got to fix that because you know, why'd you do this? And why was this like that? What did you mean by that? So you get uh, that, <laughs> <laughs> that uh, really cynical immediate feedback, which uh, could be helpful. And, yeah, you do. Uh, I've, you. I've noticed that both, both good and bad, but you know, my favorite thing about uh, being real on a, pro- a platform like Instagram is people get a chance to know you as they are. And if they don't exactly. like you, they ain't going to reach out to you and you never have to worry about them. If they do, exactly. uh, then, then you you can connect that easily. So um, yeah. yeah, I would agree with that. So property owl Instagram, that's a tag, check it out. Um, again, in, in 30 seconds or less, cause I'm going to make you keep this one short. Uh, what's on the horizon? Tell us just a quick uh, one-liner, two-liner snippet about your uh, upcoming courses. Yeah, so I'm going to start releasing some real estate investing courses. So how to really invest in real estate in Canada. And uh, that's coming out in a couple of weeks. Um, so we're going to release that. And it's just for Canadians. It's Canadian content. All our contracts are Canadian. All our forms are Canadian. Everything's Canadian. Content's all Canadian. How to look for real estate. Do it the right way all Canadian. And then, um, that's, what's coming out next. And then after that, it's a series of, I'm into business investing. I'm going to release a series of stuff on business investing and people just, just to get people learning and growing and and having some pretty cool stuff. Awesome, man. Looking forward to it. All right. All right. Well, listen, this has been a pleasure. It's been a treat. And you know what? My favorite thing so far in this interview, just to finish it all up, is that you just seem like a guy that generally wants to get out there, share your information and share your knowledge. So anybody who's listening to this, make sure to reach out to Kosi, say hi to him, wave to him. Uh, the Property Owl on Instagram. If you want to check out his courses, stay tuned on there. Who knows? Maybe one day we'll partner together and figure out something uh, something even bigger for you folks that uh, that's not even ready and not even out there yet. So again, thank yeah. you guys for tuning in. Thank you, Kosi, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Talk to you guys Thanks, soon. Buddy. Right. Take care.